Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, everyone. We are so glad that all of you decided to take a, a little bit of time here and spend it with us, especially if you are new around here. You're just maybe just kind of beginning to explore, just beginning to dip your toes in the water here of Christianity. Uh, we're thankful you decided, again, spend part of your Sunday here with us. We never take that for granted. Uh, I would also like to challenge you and tell you to please come back for, for three weeks. Uh, and we issue this challenge often because every single week is unique. Every single week is different. And we think it's frankly just going to take at least a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel uh, of what it is that we're all about here. And I'm frankly irrationally confident that if you do come back for three straight weeks, uh, this will be something that you look forward to showing up to. In fact, one of the greatest promises that I think the Almighty Living God offers us is that as we move closer to Him, He will always move closer to us. And so uh, keep drawing near to Him, keep exploring. I'm confident that you will meet God here in this place. Uh, we move today in, into part eight of a nine-part series, so the end is near, titled uh, Ecclesiology, uh, which as we've come to discover is this rather grandiose theological term that describes the study of doctrine pertaining to the Christian church. Uh, we've set aside these two months here leading up to Easter to teach on the essentials of, of the Christian faith. In, in a world where there's a greater and greater propensity to conform virtually everything into the image of man, it, it is as important as ever before to make sure that we we as, as followers of Jesus understand the non-negotiables of, of the Christian faith, the stuff that like, hey, we do not budge with this. As we've been saying in this series, and it should well sound painfully obvious, uh, followers of Jesus should be able to reasonably articulate what it is that they believe and, and why they believe it. And for those of you who are just kind of beginning to explore, well, you owe it to yourself to understand as completely as possible what it is that you're potentially signing up for. So both for the follower of Jesus and the person who's maybe kind of sitting on the fence, I would argue that this is some pretty important content. And so if you haven't been here with us for the entirety of this series, I'd highly encourage you to get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. Now, uh, today, we get to speak about what is one of my favorite topics since, well, I've kind of dedicated my life to this movement, this thing that we call the, the church. Now, I don't really think what, what I'm about to present, what I'm about to say right now is, is as big of a mental hurdle here at, at Grumlaw because we've been so intentional uh, regarding the use of our language since day one. But for clarity's sake, and we recognize there's some new people watching right now, uh, I'll briefly make mention of it. When you hear the word church, and I want us to actually be honest right now, what is it that comes to mind first? For, for, for most people, and I would very much include myself in this most people category, we think of usually one of two things. We think of either a, a building or, or a weekly worship service. Even today, after leading a church now for over five years, it's still hard to, to not allow my mind to almost instinctively go to, to this place. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that kind of language ship has, has sailed. I've met the Christians, as you probably have as well, who love correcting people on this. When a person uses the term church to describe that building or to describe that weekly worship gathering, they're quick to tell them, wrong, that's not what it actually means. It's like, ease up. 
We, we don't have to be the language police so long as we understand what the original intent of this word was and that we understand what church is, is referring to, in particular, as we read through the words of, of Scripture. Now, most people figure this out on their own once they actually pick up and, and read the Bible for themselves because, frankly, it's just really, really obvious as you read Scripture that there's no way church is just referring to, to a building. I'm going to give us one example here from the book of Acts. This is the book that, in large part, that documents the rise of the early first century Christian church. Uh, there, and this is actually Paul speaking, he says, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. So again, if it's a building, it's like feed a building. God purchased a building with with his own blood. That would be a painfully lopsided transaction. It again becomes very, very obvious that the original intent of the word church wasn't to describe a building or or even a weekly service, but but rather a, a people. We derive our English word church from a Greek word, and if you've been with us here for the entirety of this series, you already know this part. It comes from this Greek word, ekklesia, uh, which actually makes up the first half of the title that this series bears, uh, the second half being ology, which means the study of, and, and ekklesia literally translated means gathering or assembly or community or congregation. Again, a group of people. Uh, the term that I often use, faith community. A, a more literal translation would yield a, a called out assembly or, or a called out people. When we see the word church appear in scripture, uh, it's referring to, to one of, of the following two. Either A, that the body of followers of Jesus throughout all the world, throughout all the ages, we're talking about the collective body of, uh, of followers of Jesus for all time, past, present, and future. So again, not, not a building, but, but a people. Or more commonly in the New Testament writings, the latter half of scripture, we see church specifically being used to describe a local community of followers. This is why you'll often hear me use the term local church synonymously with Grumlaw. I'm just kind of following those New Testament writers' lead. And by the way, this is kind of caught on here at Grumlaw. I was actually just literally commenting to our filming crew a couple of weeks ago that, that I don't hear people actually use the word church very often around here. Instead, many of you, you followed the lead to refer to this as, again, a faith community. It's a group of people. Now, when we think of the church, uh, we can certainly draw a line well back to the pages of the Old Testament with it not being difficult to describe God's chosen people. Remember, we learned about them, the Israelites, as, as the church. But, but for the sake of our conversation this morning, as, as already alluded to, uh, we're going to be largely referring to the New Testament use of, of this term, the, the new covenant that Jesus would usher in, and remarkably, the new community that he would bet all of it, and I mean all of it, on. I want to show us the first instance of the use of the word church in Scripture, in that New Testament. And not surprisingly, it's where we draw a lot of our understanding about the church from. Now, to give us a little bit of context here, uh, where we're going to be picking up here in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus at this point, his earthly ministry is well underway. And, and, and at this point, things are going like really well. I mean, there's these big crowds following Jesus everywhere he goes. There's a ton of interest in the words of Jesus and the miracles that he's performing. But increasingly, there's this murmur that's kind of seeping, that's consistently oozing out from the crowds. This, but, but is he the Messiah? I mean, is he actually like, like the one? I mean, at the very least, we know at this point he's a prophet. I mean, again, just listen to his teachings. They're unbelievable. Look at the miracles that he's performing. But, 
but might he actually be the one whom we've been waiting for, the, the one to whom the scriptures have been pointing to? And if he is, why the heck won't he just come out and say it? Why won't he just tell us? But that is kind of where we, we pick up here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says there that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and so now he's just looking at his 12 best friends, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man was a title that Jesus would often use for himself. In other words, hey, what are people saying about me? Come on, yo, give me the deets. And you have to appreciate it. They just kind of tell them like what people are saying. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus, you know, kind of nods, perhaps. Maybe he even smirks. But then he turns it on his best friends. The guys who have seen everything to this point, all the miracles. I mean, they have seen all of it. Listen to every one of his teachings, witness everything that he's performed. He looks right at those guys. No passing the buck, no dodging the question. And he says, but, but, but who do you say I am? Now, if you grew up going to church, you've heard this account before. And so there's a propensity to just kind of breeze right past it. But, but I want you to, for, for, for a moment, I, I want you to put yourself in the shoes or, or sandals of, of one of the disciples. Right? Like, you, you better not mess this up, right? No longer does this feel like, like an innocent question or just kind of a casual conversation that they're having. S- suddenly this feels a lot weightier. Suddenly this is like, this is like the final exam. Like, like we better get this right or my goodness ha- have we wasted a lot of time. I mean, I mean, Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. What if we've been reading between the lines? What if we've wanted something so much, but, but it's not actually there? And you have to imagine in this instant that the disciples behaved like, like well, all of us would have probably behaved. Like these panic-stricken looks being shot back and forth, wondering who it is that, that's going to speak up. And, and then finally, Peter, he, he breaks the silence. He, he says, you are the Messiah, the, the son of the living God. And admittedly, we don't know every nuance of this conversation. But, but Jesus, he, he had to have been a pretty good hang, right? Like a funny guy, charming. I mean, there's no way this many people would have been gathering to listen to Jesus if, if that wasn't the case. So, so I imagine, and again, take this for what it's worth because I'm, I'm imagining. I imagine he pauses just long enough to get Peter sweating. To, to get Peter thinking, oh crud, was, was that the wrong answer? Did, 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 did I just blow it? what if Jesus says wrong? What if we've then been wrong? What if I have given up everything to follow a fraud? But, but Jesus doesn't make him hang on for too long. He says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which by the way, Peter means rock. And upon this rock, this declaration that just came from your lips, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, now before I dive into the exegesis or the implications of this passage, I want us to to first focus on the the promise. Specifically, that as as followers of Jesus, we have the assurance from Jesus himself, from his lips, and and now thousands of years of history to back this up, that that you and I, well, we're, we're on the winning team. 
and will forever be on the winning team. We often overlook just the raw, unabated kindness of Jesus. See, Jesus knows that following him, it won't always be easy. That it will often feel like we're in the minority. That, that, that we are as followers of Jesus going to sometimes ask, like, is, is this really worth it? So, so right here, li- literally the first time that he brings up this new community, the first time that he explicitly speaks about the church, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. No matter how tough it gets, nothing is going to be able to stand in the way of this new movement, this new people, this new community. Now, now again, to this original audience, This would have sounded like an outlandish promise, but y'all, we literally now have 2,000 plus years of history to show that Jesus wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't kidding at all. When you study the history of the early church, and if you've never done this before, I I would tell you that that you probably ought to. It, It should have never even survived the first century. But not only did Christianity survive, that the church grew, it thrived. It would become the state religion of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire on the planet that once persecuted Christianity is now saying, hey, this is whom you should put your faith in. No matter what the world throws at Christianity, massive persecution, unspeakable crimes, it just keeps on outlasting every other faith tradition. In fact, recency bias, over the last four decades, the Christian church, you ready for this? The Christian church has seen its greatest growth in China, communist China, with the government doing everything that they can to stand against Christianity. Over those four decades, it's grown from 1 million followers to an estimated 100 million followers, with most conservative estimates saying that China is going to have the largest number of Christians of any other nation by 2030. The church, that is, the body of Christ isn't going anywhere. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I tried to tell you that. I, I wasn't kidding. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which again means rock, and upon this rock, this declaration, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus here, one, he intentionally plays off of Peter's name. He was a wise guy, which again happens to mean rock, and he declares from moment number one when he speaks of the church that the church will be built upon what it is that Peter just professed. The testimony that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about salvation. We receive the free gift of salvation by placing our faith in Jesus. It is by faith alone and in Christ alone. There is no other way that we can find a path back to God. So it shouldn't be all that surprising that Jesus makes it really, really clear that his church is gonna be built upon that same profession. All of us, like Peter, return to a right standing with God by placing our trust in Jesus. Like Peter, by believing that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. This is how we are grafted into the church. And therefore, as Jesus doesn't shy away from pointing out, he will build his church. Not you or I. Because without his redemptive work on the cross, we would have no ability to rescue ourselves from the consequences of our sin condition death, and in turn, no means to restore our relationship with God. 
The church, the local church, Grumlaw Church, is built upon Jesus and Jesus alone. But, but here's what's so incredible. J- Jesus also longs to use us, to, to use you. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, in, uh, in coming months, we're actually going to walk through a series, walking through what's traditionally referred to as the Beatitudes. And one of them, J- Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is saying that there's going to be a very direct line drawn between the impact that this church has, Grumlaw Church has on this community, and our hunger, the, the hunger of the people for righteousness, to, to, to become more and more conformed into the image of Christ. We will not see more and more people being brought into the fold of God based upon the talent that sits on this stage week to week, but the hunger of this faith community. Jesus very intentionally left his life-changing, eternity-transforming message in the hands of his followers, the church, the local church. And and just in case you're not familiar with the life of Jesus, he left. Like, like he's not walking around the earth anymore. But but, but that obviously doesn't mean that the movement died, just just like we talked about, the very powers of hell aren't going to be able to overcome it. Quick footnote, by the way, to only further add credibility here to Jesus' claim that, again, the very powers of hell aren't going to be able to overcome his church. Jesus' earthly ministry, it only lasted about three years. But yet, here we are thousands of years later, and we're still talking about him. Here was Jesus' mandate but before he left. It is the responsibility of the local church to carry the good news about me, about Jesus, into the world, into our local community church. He has left it in our hands, or as we often put it around here, the local church is plan A and there is no plan B. We, the local church, is the instrument that God has chosen to bring the hope of the world, the message of his son to our communities. He put 100% of his eggs in this basket. Here are actually Jesus' specific marching orders that he has laid out for us, the church, often referred to as, as the Great Commission. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, and this is right before he's going to leave the earth, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a body of believers, as a church, Jesus makes our task almost like painfully simple. Number one, go. Go into your community, go into our community, and show people Jesus by how you live. People should be able to observe your life for all of about five minutes and be able to tell that you are marching to the beat of a different drum. Followers of Jesus should stand out. Not because, and don't get this twisted because a lot of people take this the wrong way, not because we're a bunch of weirdos, but because our value system is so drastically different from the world's. Because we take steps of obedience that other people wouldn't dream of taking. Uh, I've shared a little bit about, and some of you probably put it together through social media. I've talked a lot about it actually of late uh, because maybe, again, there's some recency bias there. uh, That my wife and I, uh, about six weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, uh, we started this coffee shop down in Heartland, uh, Michigan, where we give away 100% of the proceeds uh, to the fight of uh, to the fight against human trafficking in partnership with an organization called Our Daughters International that here as a church we support as well. 
And uh, I'll tell you, these last six weeks have been simultaneously really encouraging, but also like kind of wildly frustrating as well. It's been encouraging in that it's opened up so many avenues to tell people about like what Jesus has been doing and about how God was prompting and be able to tell that story. But when I say it's been frustrating, like the number of Christians, not, not people who don't know Jesus, but the number of Christians who are just like absolutely floored that, that Andrea and I would do this. And granted, it has come at a great personal sacrifice to Andrea and I. It's cost, frankly, way more than, than I would have ever estimated. But, but church, it shouldn't stand out this much. We shouldn't see these types of steps of obedience like only like once or two times in our lifetime. This should be like routine behavior for followers of Jesus. Jesus, during his time on earth, he says, so now I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. To, to which point the audience would have thought, well, that's not new. And Jesus would have said, I'm not through. He says, just as I have loved you. And it's like, oh, you, you should love each other. See, this goes so much further than just being nice to people, right? Like plenty of non-Christians are nice to other human beings. No, no, Jesus, just as I have loved you, would lay down his life for you. He's going, that is how far this goes. It is a self-sacrificing love that constantly, oftentimes painfully asks, what is best for you, even if it comes at a great personal cost to me? Come on, we talked about this before. In almost every scenario, you know the answer to the question, what does love require of me? And the answer to that question often comes at great personal sacrifice. This question is the one that leads empty nesters to step into foster care. It leads to downsizing and selling vacation homes to leverage more of what you have for the benefit of others. It's consistently putting yourself in situations where if God does not come through, you are screwed. Go, Jesus says. Take radical steps of obedience wherever God is leading. This is the way, Jesus says, of my followers. This is the way of my church. American Christianity, in so many ways, we have hitched our wagons to a false gospel. In that we take a step of obedience, but then we don't even give it an opportunity for God to come through because the minute that it get hard, gets hard, the minute that it gets challenging, the minute that it gets uncomfortable, we chuck it back to the side, we backtrack because we're like, oh my gosh, God couldn't possibly be in it if it's difficult. That's not the case at all. He told us it would be difficult. Church, this is one of the many, many reasons why, why we invest so heavily in church starting and planting other churches. One, again, Jesus declared that this is like the avenue by, by which my message is going to be delivered to the world, delivered into our communities. And frankly, we're smart enough to know that Grumlaw in and of itself isn't going to be changing the world. It, it, it's going to be churches who are committed to starting more churches to make sure that more communities are being reached with the life-changing, eternity-transforming message of Jesus. As a church, uh, what that practically shakes out to is we give 11% of every dollar right back to starting more churches so that more people can be reached with the message of Jesus. It's how seriously we take this. In, in, in 2022, that translated to over $246,000. And oftentimes, I'm just telling you, as a church, as an organization, that, that's uncomfortable. 
It's not always sitting there like, oh yeah, we gotta have that kind of money to shell out, but we're like, no, we believe in this. We wanna continue to invest in this. And so many of you, uh, you've caught that vision and, and you've been extraordinarily generous here with this church. And we wanna invite the rest of you to kind of get in on, on what God is doing here with the local church. And so there's a couple different ways that you can give. Uh, you can go to grumlaw.com slash give. Uh, you can text Grumlaw to 94,000 and, and follow those prompts. But by far, the, the best and the easiest way to give uh, is to set up recurring giving again at grumlaw.com slash give. So, so again, Jesus, he gives us this, this, this twofold challenge. Go, he says, and, and then the second half, he says, make disciples. Uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, little note here that scholars have been noting for generations. In, in the book of Acts, which again, in large part, records first the rise of the early first century church, 39 of the 40 miracles that occur in Acts occur outside of the church building, outside of that, that gathering. I've made this point before. Abraham was a farmer. Luke was a doctor. Nehemiah was, was a commercial real estate developer. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. Esther was in civic government, as was Daniel. Rahab, again, I've made this joke, was a working girl. You have been invited by Jesus himself to reproduce what God has done in you, in the lives of the people around you, in whatever circumstances you presently find yourself in. You don't need to be a pastor to do this. In fact, that's, again, actually the beauty of it. 39 of those 40 miracles outside the church. Multiply what God has done in you and in others. And and to tag back to what we just spoke about, you're going to have a heck of a time making disciples if your life doesn't look markedly different. It kind of by default has to grab the attention of the people around you. In in order to make a difference, you must be different. In church, here's the deal. Everything that I'm presenting this morning it can sound like a, like a pretty daunting task if it was just left up to, to you or, or just to me, but, but it's not. Well, let's not forget what Jesus says there at the end of the Great Commission and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a clear and cut reference to the Holy Spirit, God in spirit who dwells within every follower of Jesus. You're not going at this alone. Remember, we have the God of the universe, the same God who rose Jesus from the grave, living inside of us as followers of Jesus. It's a pretty absurd, as the devil would call it, unfair advantage. Remember, church, we're on the winning team. Death has already been defeated. The grave has already been conquered. Jesus has already won. So yes, the task that lays before us, it can feel daunting at times, but Jesus has already emerged victorious. So let's go.